Welcome back to the Bros and Beers podcast. My name is James and I'm joined here today by my co-host Vian. How you doing bud? Ah, lucky in yourself brother. Nah, really, really good dude. I'm, I'm super keen to be podcasting again. I'm really excited to jump right into this. Yeah, so today's episode. So the previous episode, we drank our our new favorite beer, Tafel Lager. Yes. And in this episode, we're drinking our our old favorite beer. Yes, our our old reigning champion. You know, it was always at the top of our list. As of late, was knocked off of that throne. Stella Artois. The one. Or the old one. <laughs> so, I've gathered some fun facts. Mm-hmm. I want you to grab the bottle right in front of you. Yes, boss. And look at this label. I am examining it right this now. This label has a lot of history. I can see that. So, in 1708... Mm-hmm. Uh, oak called Sebastian Artois became the head brewer of Den Horen, which is a Belgian brewery. Mm-hmm. And on the top of the label, you can see that horn. Yes, I can. That is the horn that was used to represent this brewery. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, but it wasn't until 1926 when Sebastian Artois released Stella Artois over the festive season in, or during Christmas. It was kind of like his gift to the world. <laughs> and and it was until we found Tafelog. <laughs> um, other fun facts is Stella has a nine-step pouring ritual. That's pretty intense. It's it's hectic, and we'll get into that uh, during our beer tasting. Okay. Um, I think it's going to take too long at the start, so that's for a bit later. Also, there's a strong baby at 5.2% alcohol. Yeah, definitely above average here. Just by a little though, but it's, it's certainly on the, on the stronger side of beers. Definitely. And then uh, back in the day, strong beers weren't uh, a big thing. So okay. Stella became really popular in the UK. And at 5.2% 5.2% alcohol, um, I don't know if I want to say this, but Ooh. this beer became known as the wife beater <laughs> you joking <laughs> no no it was honestly called the wife beater because of the 5.5.2 percent alcohol so clearly the british don't know how to handle their alcohol obviously <laughs> not <laughs> i'm joking i'm joking i'm joking this is a long time ago they probably had really bad alcohol anyway please continue yeah so wife beater quite controversial mm, um, definitely also weird that a lot of people could own this premium lager as Stella advertised themselves as, is a premium lager. Okay. Um, so not a lot of people drank Stella back in the days because it was a expensive beer. Oh, okay. Granted, it still is a bit expensive today. Definitely. <laughs> um, but uh, they had a whole marketing campaign uh, running from 1982 to 2007 called Reassuringly Expensive. Holy cow. <laughs> Trying to get these negative people that see their premium lager as way too expensive to make them see that their premium lager is worth it. And within these ads, you can see it. This one oak, he, he rocks up to a bar to buy a baguette um, with a, a wagon full of roses, obviously, to sell it. And he's chilling there eating his baguette. And uh, he sees the barman pouring a Stella. And he's like, ah, I want this. So you, we start on a close-up of his face as he's taking the sip and the camera slowly tracking back. And now you see he sold all his roses to this oak so that he can drink that one Stella, kind of insinuating that it's a good thing to spend your last bit of money to buy a Stella. Okay, so Stella was kind of like one of those almost like snobbish brands where they tailor themselves 
to a higher market, but then they advertise to a lower market to sort of bring in the customers. I mean, that's that's quite interesting how they like explicitly state how this is a premium beer um, and we know you can't afford this, but you really should be able to because it's such a good beer. Like, I, I don't see marketing like that flying nowadays Mm-mm, just because of how it's almost like an attack on the people. Like, eh, you aren't exactly suited for this beer, but it will change your life if you do try it. So, I don't know. It's quite an interesting campaign. You can clearly see that the, the marketing back then was completely different. Like, how this ad shows this guy giving away basically everything he has just so that he can go into a beer and, like, have one, you know. It's almost like it's like promoting alcoholism. Like, look, doesn't matter what your life is worth, this beer is more important. <laughs> no, no, okay, no. I think we should get off. <laughs> we should get off this topic first. Wife beater, no alcoholism, no. All of the controversy. So, what is today's topic, Mister James? So today we are discussing sport in South Africa, but more importantly, the sort of more niche sports that most people may not know about. Mm, like uh, ice hockey, for example. Yes. Tell me about ice hockey, Vian. So, I've never been really interested in ice hockey. Me neither. But it's been really interesting doing some research on some smaller sports within South Africa. So, in Cape Town, they've got an ice hockey federation, okay. which I didn't know about. Um, and their team went to the world championship and got gold in Division 3, and is also now 43rd in the world in ice hockey. That's pretty impressive. I mean, granted, 43rd in the world like isn't exactly the best. But, I mean, coming from a country that hardly ever sees snow, like if you exclude like the Drakensberg mm. and Limpopo, virtually none. I mean, we have no lakes that freeze over in the winter that people can skate on. So ice hockey is something that people have to actively search for and go out of their way to practice. So, I mean, it's really, really impressive that a country such as ourselves can produce a team that can sort of compete within the world scene. I mean, I'm sure they must have been whitewashed by, like, America and Canada and whatever. But it's still, it's very impressive. And, I mean, considering the fact that it's not popular in the country at all, it shows that there's a very devoted group of people who are, like, trying to, like, push it in the country. So... I don't know, maybe in the future I'll be looking out for ice hockey. Probably won't be on the TV, mm. but like, you know, looking online and stuff because I'd be very interested to see, you know, how they do. And more importantly, like support these people. I mean, yeah. they're, they're representing our country internationally. Mm. And by the looks of it, they have like no backing from anyone, you know, which is kind of sad. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned something really, really nice there is that we don't get to see it on TV mm. um, where we see most of our sports like rugby, soccer, golf. Um, where most of most of the South Africans play in. Um, I grew up only watching rugby and, uh, you know, the Boca, Boca is the best. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, I've never seen an ice hockey game, especially South Africa playing an ice hockey game. Um, same with polo, for example. Um, South Africa is a really strong polo team. Yeah. So strong that NetBank is hosting a polo event. Uh, which is going to be a national, to- international tournament um, where we will be facing New Zealand for a friendly match before the whole tournament starts. That's really impressive. So I, I know a little bit more about polo, but that's just thanks to my grandparents mm-hmm. and my aunt, you know, owning a farm with horses and stuff. So I've been a little more exposed to it. 
And I know that some of the larnier schools out like Kailami mm. way where there's lots of space, they do like horse riding and stuff at the schools. Mm. But I mean, even then, I've never seen anywhere like advertising a World Cup, uh, more importantly, South Africa hosting New Zealand for a friendly. I mean, that's really, really big. When the All Blacks come here for rugby, like I swear the country as a whole stops yeah. and is like, whoa, we need to watch the yeah. rugby. Yeah. But I mean, that with the polo, it's, it's kind of sad that you don't hear about it at all. And I'm sure that the South African polo team is very, very strong because there's a very devoted mm. like um, equestrian or, or horse riding sort of community within the country. And there's a lot of people that are very passionate about it. So it would be really nice to see you know, other brands like picking them up to sort of push it forward and garner their support. Because, I mean, imagine you you representing your country and like your one of your friends from high school has no idea. Mm. You know, it's almost like you, you're going to a, a cycling event without your, your cycling shoes, your cleats. It's like that, that support structure isn't there. So why is that drive there to perform? You know, it's like more for yourself mm. Mm. than for your actual country. Because like if your country doesn't know, why should you bother representing them? Yeah, I see where you're coming from. And, uh, you mentioned something interesting there. We spoke about when we reviewed Castle, is that Castle sponsors most of our national teams, Yeah, like the Boca and the Portillas. Um, it's really interesting that Netbank has picked up this polo team yeah. and is hosting this whole tournament, as well as Heineken is sponsoring this event. See, like that that's a perfect example. I mean, Heineken is a big brand, you know, mm. And they, granted, they support like a lot of like sports and just events in general. But even then, you'd expect them to maybe advertise this, be like, hey, Heineken, proud sponsor of the South African polo team. But you don't see it. So I'm very happy that this team has a really solid um, like support mm. through like these advertisers and um, what's a word I'm, I'm looking for? Investors, you know, mm. who like helping the team along the way you know maybe paying for flights or bring those are the guys who brought new zealand here but it's still kind of sad that these big brands are sponsoring them but sponsoring them why yeah like, because we still don't hear about it yeah what's the point of like pushing trying to push forward your brand if no one knows about it and i mean we we fairly clued up about like what's happening online and mm. like kind of in the news and whatever it's one of the things that comes with film school is that you need to be like very aware of what's happening in the country. And I mean, even with us, you know, spending every day basically on the internet, you know, seeing ads from multiple companies, not once have we come across one pushing forward the polo team or even promoting the New Zealand game. Yeah. I don't know what you'd call a polo match, a match probably, but <laughs> no one knows like Surely they'd be like, hey, come buy tickets and watch New Zealand and South Africa play. Mm. I mean, the when the Boca and the All Blacks like face it out, tickets are sold out almost instantly. But with this, I'd be amazed if these even sold out. It's probably just the parents and the very devoted supporters of the sport. Because, I mean, regular people like us who aren't involved have no idea unless we actively go out and search for it. Yeah, no, I think um, you mentioned um, like the Boca versus the All Blacks in a rugby game. Mm. This whole tournament is happening just before the 2019 Rugby World Cup. Ah. Um, so obviously we'll start hearing more about the rugby and not as, not as much about the polo. Um, where I think these bigger sports 
should start overshadowing or shouldn't start over what's the right word i'm looking here yeah so you, like if correct me if I'm wrong but you're trying to say that the advertisers and stuff shouldn't necessarily um promote something that overshadows something else even if exactly. it's of equal importance yeah i mean this is huge no, it's 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 south f it's it's a sport representing south africa and a group of people in south africa and it should be advertised even though we might see the ad and be like this isn't for us i'm probably not going to watch it at least we know about it because i know a lot of friends who do horse riding for example i'll be like hey guys did you did you hear about this polo event that netpunk is uh hosting and i feel that these bigger sports are overshadowing in terms of sport wise and sponsorship wise mm. and I, f- I feel it's kind of unfair to the people doing the sport and to us as south africans yeah i i agree completely you know obviously the advertising makes sense these companies want to push something where they know they're gonna like garner some some customers mm. you know that's why there's so many supporters for like um sorry advertisers and um, investors for like the the rugby world cup mm. but i mean with the polo it's interesting that we mentioned like nedbank and heineken those are two huge companies you know so surely they're doing this for a reason like to get something out of it but currently it seems like they're not pushing forward that agenda so it, it's i mean it's, it's kind of a sad state of affairs and i guess the message we're trying to send is that you know maybe us as south africans it comes down to us as individuals mm. to find out what's happening with the sport in the country and how we can support that and i mean south africa is a very passionate country when it comes to like support i mean a, mm. a perfect example of this is like custa semenya with yeah. the the like the international um athletics and stuff just how strong and how firmly rooted we are like behind supporting her and like letting her be as successful as possible and it's so sad to see that potential support wasted because people don't know about these other sports that are happening on the same level you know okay james so that ended on a a really really positive note and uh, i think keeping it positive we should look at stella artois nine-step boarding process yes if i'm not mistaken this is quite a technical and in-depth process because like i don't know maybe because of the beer's history they've really been able to flush out like the exact ways you need to do things in order for this beer to be at its optimal taste experience if i could use those words exactly it, and it's, it's exactly that and before i start with this i want to mention a little story okay um, i went to a restaurant and uh, not going to mention the name it was pretty <laughs> bad um they had two beers on tap a castle light and a stella and obviously i ordered a stella um and i turned around to see how this lady is busy pouring uh, my stella and i knew about this nine steps and I, I, I was interested to see if she's following these nine steps yeah Oh, and here this lady was hoying <laughs> a bicky, a little bit of beer into my chalice and then taking a spoon and throwing the foam out and then she'd oh continue word. throwing the beer in and then she'd skip the, th- the foam out and I was like, ah, oh, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> that act, like that hurts me because I mean, even on a most basic level, there's pretty much everyone knows how to pour a beer. Mm. Maybe not this specific nine step pouring process. But I mean, everybody knows, you know, you've got to hold the glass at a certain angle and then let it in slowly. And then just mm. before the end, you know, straighten the glass out so you get a nice head going. Yeah. 
and it's it's like shame maybe she just wasn't trained yeah like maybe maybe she didn't know like i don't want to hold it against Mm. her you know you don't know unless you know yeah and it's it's kind of sad shame i feel like (laughs) i can just imagine (laughs) her there with like the spoon like i'm like this beer is foaming so much what am i doing wrong i hate this so much and like scooping it out angrily (laughs) like shame i i feel bad for her maybe she should listen to the podcast and she'll learn all about it yeah and um and i mean that segues nicely into this nine step i mean these nine steps are it's really quick i mean this whole nine step happens within a time span of 30 seconds oh wow um I mean, it starts off with, uh, with what they call the purification. Okay. And basically what that is, is you clean your glass. They've got a, t- uh, a cold water, a, a tap with cold water running. Okay. And then you, basically what you do is you make sure that your glass is clean and at three degrees Celsius. They are very strict that your glass must be the same temperature your beer is going to be at. And that's around about three degrees Celsius. So that's interesting because if I'm not mistaken... A while ago, I remember Castle Light really pushed forward this like ad of like, I'll be a must be served at mm. minus three. And they're like the big minus three on all the fridges and mm. whatever. And they're that special blue logo that changed. So it's interesting that um, Stella is the opposite. It's three degrees warmer than zero. Mm. I mean, con- like just taking things, like just thinking about it in general, I mean, fridges sit around four degrees. So three degrees isn't actually that cold. Huh. Okay. Carry on. Yeah. So, what they then call this is the the purification. And yeah. Basically, what it is is your glass must be clean. Okay. And then that segues segues into the next step. So after you've cleaned your glass, you take your glass, and then just before you place your glass under the tap, you open the tap. Ah. Oh, okay. And then it's basically called the sacrifice. In Dutch, they call it the offer. Okay. But uh, the sacrifice is where you open the tap so that that bit of foam that was still stuck within the pipes of the tap get let out and then you put your glass under the tap well i mean that would make sense because if the beer was sitting in the the pipeline between the keg and the tap Mm. it would have warmed up to above three degrees and then that would throw off the temperature of the beer also that beer would probably be a little stale because it's just been sitting out in the warmth Mm. okay so that that also makes perfect logical sense yeah so then that goes into the next step and you mentioned it nicely is that Everybody knows that you should hold your glass at 45 degrees. Yes. And if you don't know, now you know. (laughs) (laughs) That is an absolute rule. Always do it. (laughs) And then all that does is what they call the liquid alchemy. Ooh, fancy. (laughs) Um, What this does is that your beer comes down at a straight angle and then rushes to the bottom of the glass and then uh what do you call it like flows within each other yeah so it, it, it sort of like makes like a turbulent vortex of beer like in my head i'm imagining this in slow-mo as mm. the beer like washes down the side of the glass and then makes almost like a wave mm. at the bottom and then makes this like cyclone effect circulates circulates there it we go circulates real nicely with each other and then what this does is it, it, it allows for a perfect or in Stella's eyes a perfect beer to foam ratio Okay, that would, that would make sense. Sorry to interrupt no, there. Because no, no. that would bring in air as well. Mm. And then that with the, the natural carbonation of the beer would make the head. Okay. Yeah. All I just wanted to say is like, as we like to call it, the head. <laughs> but uh, so they see it as the liquid alchemy is basically prepping for the perfect head, as mm. we like to call it. Okay. Then next is the crown, which is basically the head. Yeah, okay. Stella says that the crown should be at least two fingers or three centimeters high from the beer. Yeah, that that in, that sounds perfectly reasonable. Uh, I'm imagining it in my head, and that's a nice amount of foam, so where you can actually sip your beer 
and I'd have your whole face covered in foam, but mm. it's not so little foam that it kind of just looks sad. Yeah, and uh, there's nothing as sad as looking at a beer that there's no foam on top. 100%. Um, then next, they've got uh, the step called the removal. Okay. And this is important. So during the crown process, as you finish up your last throw, you straighten out your cup or your chalice, as they like to call it, and the the beer will be flowing and you've got your perfect foam to beer ratio, mm -hmm. but you want your beer to overflow. Okay. Basically, they want your chalice covered in beer, inside and outside. <laughs> and uh, then they call this the removal. As this is busy happening, the same with the sacrifice is they let the tap run for just a bit longer as they're busy taking the glass away from the, the tap. Okay, that's, that's interesting. So they like waste a little at the beginning. And then they waste a little at the end as the beer sort of flown over and the head has come all the way to the top of the glass and sort of foaming over everywhere. Okay. Yeah. And then they say it's because that last bit of beer has been oxidized and might throw off the flavor of the beer. So this segues nicely into a step they call the beheading. Hmm. Um, so you mentioned it nicely earlier is that you want your beer to overflow and this creates the foam at the top that yeah. is overhanging just slightly. Okay. So with the beheading is you take a, a knife. Okay. Really important is you, you have to keep it at 45 degrees. Okay. And then you slice, slice that extra bit of foam off the top. <laughs> That's so extra. I am going to behead this beer. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're just casually like grazing a knife over the top of the glass. These but people it, are so extra. But it must be at 45 degrees. <laughs> I wonder, like, I'm, I'm curious to know what difference that would make. Like what happens if you did... 30 degrees like no, so i think the 45 degrees is i know you, you the the listeners can't see this but I'm, I'm i'm making like a little glass hand in front of james yes if you keep your knife at 45 degrees i think that allows for the knife to not slice through the foam and it'll still keep the foam at the top but to scrape the foam off while it's busy cutting the foam you're a genius <laughs> That's probably why it's like a, it a makes bulldozer. perfect sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And then that, that next, the next step. So we, we said that they're a bit extra. Mm -hmm. This goes into the fudgement. I think I pronounced that correctly. 100%. Um, this is where after you've now of beheaded your beer, you pick your chalice up and you look at it. <laughs> and like, damn, I've poured a nice beer here. <laughs> oh, that is, that is like the most artisanal thing to do. Mm. I mean, I, I guess that like falls back on like everyone should have pride in what they do and really enjoy it. And if you mm. enjoy what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And I can just imagine being a bartender, you know, and having a look at your beer as you've poured it and you bring it up to the light and you see those wonderful bubbles rising through the beer and the perfect head of foam that's been like, sha like shaved nicely. So everything's level, everything's clean. It's just like, mm, I don't know who's getting this beer. But my word, are they going to enjoy it? <laughs> and it's exactly what it is. And during this process, this this bartender is just making sure that the foam to head, uh, the beer to foam ratio is perfect. Okay. Like I mentioned earlier, two fingers or three centimeters. And that's all he's checking for, um, is to make sure that this beer to foam ratio is perfect. Yes, because it cannot be served otherwise unless it is served this way. Yeah, and it goes back to like you should have pride in what you're doing. And then this goes nicely into the next step called the cleansing and then the bestowal. I'm just going to put these two together. So just before you serve your the chalice, the stellar chalice, to your customer, you 
because remember now you've let the beer overflow your chalice is full of beer yeah it's nasty it's pretty nasty so he then takes it and then you, or he or she takes it and puts it in a sink cleanses or cleans the outside of the glass and then at the bottom he puts a little drip catcher serves it on a nice little Stella beer mat or beer coaster and then as he's placing it in front of the customer he makes sure that the chalice the Stella logo on the chalice is facing towards the customer wow I mean, that is, it's the small details like that that really set apart certain restaurants from others. Because I don't know if the listeners know this, but the Stella Chalice is, it's a beautiful mm. piece of glass. It, it's called a chalice because it literally looks like a really, really big wine glass. And right at the top of the glass, there's a, there's a strip of gold, if I'm not mistaken. I'm mm. pretty sure it's gold. It sort of indicates where the, where the foam should be. Yeah. And, there's a big Stella logo on the side of the chalice and this this like wine glass shape is supported by a large sort of glob of glass mm. and then pressed into that glass is the Stella logo with a horn and stuff. So it, it's a absolutely beautiful sort of um, just beer glass to drink beer out of. It's not sort of your normal straight mm. pint glass, you know. So it's nice that they take so much pride in making this glass and then really asserting the fact that it needs to be served facing the customer just to reaffirm I mean, obviously they know what they've ordered yeah. but it's sort of that like comforting thing you know like when you when you get a buy a nice car and the the name or the the logo is like um stitched into the seating mm. it's the small details like that that really show that this company is really proud of what they've done and they want you to know that as well so props to you Stella I definitely approve of this nine-step pouring process no same and I think that uh that also adds to the experience yes I mean someone just pouring you a castle into like your normal pint glass whereas if this person even if he walks you through what he or he or she is doing I think they'll add to the experience a little bit of a little bit of a, a show you're getting before you get served your Stella yeah and that's exactly what it is you know it's just this company like basically putting on a show obviously all of it's motivated by specific reasons but at the end of the day it's a marketing com- it's a marketing ploy well not ploy but it's a marketing plan that sets mm. this beer apart from the rest and shows that pride within their within their beer and i really appreciate that now that we know about how to pour a stella i think we should go and do that oh no definitely definitely i'm really really thirsty <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna go grab some beers we'll be right back Okay, so we're back and we've got our our old champion here. And I think because I mentioned this whole nine-step pouring process, I think, uh, well, I wonder if it's a good idea to, to pour it out on the show for the first time. You know, I agree. Normally, we, we pour it out beforehand, but I think just because we've sort of established the way it should be done, I think we'll do it on the show. However, it is to the audience. We are not fortunate enough to have a stellar keg and tap you know nearby we are not that fortunate stella please sponsor us <laughs> please please um so for, for that reason we won't be taking part in the sacrifice and the beheading firstly because you know the sacrifice we, we're not going to pour out some of this beer onto the table <laughs> and then pour the rest into the glass and the beheading you know we have one liter mugs here unfortunately we don't have stella chalices nearby and this 330 ml bottle isn't going to get close to overflowing unless we really pour this beer badly. <laughs> However, now that we've detailed the pouring process, let's grab the beer, grab the mug. All right, 45 degrees. Remember, it's important to have the 45 degrees 
I am watching the liquid alchemy take hold. The head is forming. The foam is rising in a glorious flurry of foam. Mm. That, that is beautiful. This is beautiful. Cheers, brother. Cheers, but. <sighs> so, while, whilst Vian takes a sip here, it is to note that this is a Pilsner lager. So, as mentioned in our previous podcasts, uh, lagers are stored um, in warehouses and stuff. If you're interested, go a couple of episodes back and you'll learn all about that. However, the color. I think, again, this may be a little lighter just because it's a Pilsner, but to my eye, this is undifferentiated. No. Yeah. (laughs) He is indecisive. It's definitely, I don't know if it's just my eye, but it seems lighter. But I don't think I'll be able to to tell this beer apart from any other beer that we've had so far or any other lager. Um, five. So yeah, five. <laughs> Solid five. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe that was just the placebo effect taking hold there. So I'm going to grab a sip here. And I see you just had a sip. Why don't you start speaking through the next category? Bitterness. Now, I don't really think that this beer is bitter at all. It has that initial zing. We like using that word, the initial zing of bitterness. But this dies down much quicker than something like a Heineken. Um, And therefore, I'm going to give it a five. Just average bitterness. Yeah, I think you're onto something there. Beforehand, we were drinking a Stella uh, before the show, just so we could sort of acclimatize our palates and discuss the, the tasting notes before the show. And I mentioned that I thought the bitterness was a six. Now, however, I'm getting a five. And I think it's it's most likely because previously we're drinking it out of the bottle. Mm. And to our experience, we've noted that drinking beer out of a bottle generally increases the bitterness simply because air hasn't been introduced into the beer, bringing out all of its flavor. So I'm going to give this a five. With a apostrophe, not a apostrophe, with an asterisk. If you're drinking this out of a bottle, it is a six. Out of a glass, a wonderful five. I think this is a nice baseline. I think it's slightly above average um, for most. So I wouldn't recommend this as a beginner beer. If you're drinking it out of a bottle, out of a glass, I think you'll have a wonderful experience mm. with this beer. Mm, I agree. Then next, malt value. So in my opinion, this beer is... A lot more malty than it is bitter um mm. like i said that that initial zing of bitterness dies down quickly and i'm left with a a pallet of malt and if i'm not mistaken they use maize in this beer yes they do so as most people know the three common ingredients within beer is water um barley which can be substituted with like sorghum and wheat and whatever and then the most important one hops uh stella along with the couple of other beers is made with four ingredients water barley maize and hops so when you drink this beer after the the bitterness as the the sort of the initial effervescence the bubbles on your tongue have died down you'll be greeted with what we generally refer to as the malt just it's just before the aftertaste you've just swallowed and you the air is just introduced into your mouth and you really get that flavor profile because of the maize there's a strange, I want to say sour, much mm. like I said with the black label. Mm. It's it's a very different type of sour though. It's not like, don't imagine like um, like warheads or like a sour sweet. It's almost like sourdough bread, but without the wheatiness. Mm. It's something you can, you'll only really understand 
unless you've drank a beer with maize in it, such as Stella, or another one is Peroni, and it's it's very pleasant, it's very nice. However, I think if you're not expecting it, it could take you by surprise. So I think because of that, I'll give my malt value something that's slightly higher above average, because the malt, the flavor of the barley itself isn't as present. The maize really comes through. So if, you, if you're curious to know what maize and maize tastes like within beer, definitely grab a Stella. You'll immediately be able to tell it apart from a regular beer. With that in mind, I think I'm going to give this a malt value of six. Okay, okay. Um, like I explained, um, I do find this beer uh, more malty than it is bitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not to, to the point where I can't drink this beer. It's really enjoyable. Like you've explained, it's really pleasant. Um, so therefore, I'm going to give this malt value above average six as well. Cool. What's next? Fruitiness. <laughs> the one we love. <laughs> this is going to become a running joke on the podcast until we actually review something that's deliberately made with fruit. But uh, zero. Zero, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, there's no hints of fruit here. Next up. Aftertaste. Ah, so this is, an, this is another interesting one. Because that maize is there, it gives it a, a very like robust aftertaste. It really hangs around in your mouth, not in a bad way, but it doesn't, like, it doesn't die down. This will be a nice beer to drink with a meal mm. simply because that flavor will really stay there and then possibly complement your food if you're eating the right thing. Mm. So with that in mind, you have to, like, that has to affect the values. So it's something important to note that the higher the number is doesn't necessarily mean the worse the beer. It just means the more, like, the more intense. So with this aftertaste, I'm I'm going to give it a, a 6.5. Okay. Um, so that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad aftertaste, but it's a very it's it's pretty strong and it sticks around there for quite a while. And then you know maybe like f- between 45 seconds and a minute and 30 seconds after you've had your sip, it dies down into this average sort of beeriness. But it's very very pleasant. Mm. It's a nice flavor. Yeah, we're on the opposite side of uh, the spectrum here. Um, I do find this aftertaste really pleasant, um, but I won't rate it as high. I'm rating the aftertaste as a three, as I just thoroughly enjoy this aftertaste. Mm. There's nothing that's bothering me about the aftertaste. It's it's a beer that I can see myself drinking continuously without, like we always say, going for a glass of water, for example. Hmm. You know, I, I grabbed a couple of sips there. <sighs> I was wrong. <laughs> it's it's not a 6.5. Um, it definitely comes way down. I think maybe just because now we've started drinking the beer again, I've gotten into it a little bit. Mm. And I think I'm going to give this a 4. Okay. So scratch the 6.5. I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no one is perfect. But yes, I'm going to give this a four. You mentioned everything. It's pleasant. It's great. Let's move on. Exotic value. And this is a, a really interesting one. I mean, we've had this, this in-depth explanation or brief explanation of the history of Stella, um, the whole nine-step pouring process. And it, it really adds to the exotic value when you do read up about this. Mm. Um, I think for the average consumer, it might not be as exotic, 
but in my eyes, I find this beer a lot more exotic than your baseline beers. Yes, I agree. And therefore, I'm giving this uh, exotic value of 8. And this is purely based off the fact of the 9-step boarding ratio. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm going to give this an 8, simply because I've never seen somebody drink Stella at a party. So within our age range, it's very rare to see. However, it's still one of the more common exotic beers, if I could say that. So if you go to a restaurant and you order a Stella, it's very likely that they have it. With that in mind, though, it's rare to see people drinking it unless you're at like a beer yard or Mm. something specifically devoted to beer. But that's only because all the people there are interested in beer, so it's likely that they'll be drinking the more exotic stuff. Furthermore, the the price of this beer um, sort of separates it from the... I don't want to say the lower class, but like your your average range of beers, mm. you know, the mid between like the the 50 and 70 rand per six pack yeah. range. This is above that. And that again ties into the fact that it's not popular amongst students simply because nobody really wants to pay, you know, close to 90 rand for a six pack of 330 mil bottles when you can get 500 cans of black label for like, 65 rand so i'm not saying that price defines how good a beer is Mm. it's just this beer as previously mentioned within the advertising it's more expensive and therefore it separates itself and because of that separation it's more rare therefore eight next up lacquer factor yeah so this is an interesting one Mm. okay definitely because i am going to give stella the same as i gave tafel lager okay so if if these two are next to each other in the fridge, I would have a like Tafel and Stella. I would have a I'd have some trouble, but I know I'll take the Tafel. So as mentioned in the previous episode, I'm giving this an eight. It's a wonderfully refreshing beer. I I don't think I'd ever in my right mind say no to Stella. However, I appreciate the flavor profile of Tafel a little more. Mm. That's why I choose Tafel over Stella. However, you know, Tafel wasn't necessarily a nine, nor is Stella. So they come in at right about the same. So it comes down to the small, like the smaller nuances of the beer mm. that define them. But overall, I mean, Stella's great. If Tafel wasn't in the fridge, I would be grabbing yeah. this all day, every day, no matter what. No, I agree 100%. Like, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that was a bit of an inside joke. But uh, um, I agree. And we always take lack of factor back to if this beer was next to your favorite beer, which is now Tafel Lager, where do you grab this beer? And I'm saying no, <laughs> I'm staying committed and therefore I, I would take the Tafel Lager. I know in the previous episode I scored Tafel Lager 8.5. Um, I'm going to be scoring Stella an 8 just because I'm staying committed to Tafel. Yeah, you, you're reflecting it in the numbers. For me, it, it sort of comes down to how am, I, how am I feeling on the day? Mm. And as of late, it's been Tafel. But this episode isn't about Tafel. It's about Stella. Overall, Stella is a wonderfully refreshing beer. It's got a w- very pleasant bitterness to it that hits you just at the right time for the right duration. We think this is definitely a beer for the more sort of intermediate beer drinkers. Mm. We find, well, just between us, we think that sort of the newer beer drinkers may not necessarily appreciate it as much. 
simply because its flavor profile, thanks to the maize, is a little different to beer, um, mm. to regular beer. So they possibly might think it tastes a little off. Um, but overall, it's it's great. If you haven't tried Stella, definitely go out and grab a, like, grab a six-pack. The, the presentation is great. The history of the beer is great. And it's a very, very pleasant drinking experience. And who knows, maybe you will be swung towards drinking Stella over your favorite current beer, unless it's Tafel. Unless it's Tafel. <laughs> um, let us know. Question of the day is, do you think this nine-step boarding process is a uh, hocus-pocus? Or, <laughs> or do, you think, do you think it really adds to the experience? Please let us know. And uh, I think on that note, we can end the podcast. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful morning, day, or afternoon. Or night. <laughs> or night. <laughs> we don't know when you listen. Um, we look forward to your input towards the question. Remember, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. All of the handles will be linked within the show notes. That's basically the description yeah. like in on whatever platform you're listening to. And we look forward to your input. Um, I'm sure it'll be quite insightful. And again, if you haven't tried Stella, do it. Do it now. But remember, <laughs> Tafel is better. <laughs> My name is Vian. Have a wonderful day, night, afternoon. <laughs> My name is James. Thank you so much for listening. Cheerio.